Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the Salt and Light Closet from early 2015. We start by speaking with philosopher Michael Ogros, who can prove the existence of God through logic and philosophy. And Michael James Meddy has a new album, Arts and Humanity. In our second half hour, Salesian father Mike Pace talks about consecrated life, and we meet singer-songwriter Lorraine Hess. We begin now with Proving the Existence of God. Now, this may not be for everyone, but I love this stuff. I love a good philosophical argument, and I've always believed that if God is real, if God is perfect reason, if God is the author of nature and science, then we should be able to find him through reason. And if you like a good argument, especially one that proves that God is real, then Michael Ogros' new book, Who Designed the Designer?, is for you. It is essential reading for anyone who cares about contemplating the existence of God or for anyone who is interested in a journey that begins in the world as we know it and it ends in God. And to tell us all about his new book, I am now joined by Michael Ogros. Michael, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Deacon Pedro. So why write this book? (laughs) <laughs> wow, what a great question. You you almost answered it for me in your, your introductory bit Did there. I? Um, yeah, because uh, it's true that, that reasoning to the existence of God involves work. There's there's no way of getting the work out of it. Yes. Uh, and the more work you put in, the, the, the greater the rewards, with, as with so many other things in life. Um, but uh, it's also possible to minimize that work to some extent. I, I tried to do that in this book. Um, in some ways, you could say the inspiration for the book was uh, St. Paul, Romans 120, uh, where he says, ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Uh-huh. So I, I, that's really the, the inspiration for this book, um, not so much the, the new atheist books, uh, um, Christopher Hitchens yeah. and Richard Dawkins and Stephen Hawking and so on. Those, those helped give me focus. But I actually started the idea for this book in as far back as 2003, I believe. Uh-huh. And uh, um, and the real inspiration was, uh, you know, the, a lot of the, the books out there are either science-based and they're involved in lots of details that, that um, the layman can't verify. I yeah. can't verify. i got to take the scientist's word for it. Yeah. Um, or they're written for people with formal training in philosophy. And St. Paul seems to be saying there in Romans, the, the beauty of the world, the, the order of the world, things that we can perceive, that could be perceived by ordinary people 2,000 years ago, are an adequate starting point for seeing that there's a God and seeing certain truths about Him. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make that as widely available as possible, and that, that was my, my, my goal. I don't know. Um, so, I couldn't get all the difficulty out. But yeah, yeah go ahead. No, what, so you, you claim that you can prove the existence of God. That's right, yeah, I would say so. And I think that's uh, Catholic doctrine, yes. finally. Yeah, um, it is. But it, it, St. Paul is saying that, even if you're a Christian and not a Catholic, I think St. Paul is, he says after that, that passage I was quoting, that therefore they're without excuse, these, these, um, the, uh, those among the Gentiles who are learned and so on, who deny God's existence or deny his attributes, they're without excuse because the evidence is all around us. Yeah, 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 like, like the fact that we live in an ordered 
um, order universe. Um, I always tell people that that I think that if they are really honest with the questions and they ask the right questions and they're honest with the answers, they actually will come to the conclusion that that there is a God. That's kind of what you're doing. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, that's. Um, I do uh, presupp- I don't presuppose in the book any training in philosophy or anything like that. No. Uh, it's just an ordinary sort of um, uh, background, a, a, a ordinary education, not 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 a specific education uh-huh. in philosophy. General education is fine, but uh, but I do assume a certain kind of honesty and and interest on the part of the reader. Um, that that much is true. Yeah. Right, and you don't assume that there is a God either. No, no, and I don't assume the truth of Scripture or anything like that. No. It really is beginning from ordinary, common-sense experience of the world, common-sense contact with reality, and trying to see that even in these ordinary things, um, there's evidence, that uh, really decisive evidence, that there is a God. Uh, once at the dinner table, my son Ben said, um, Hey, Dad, I, I heard that you know in philosophy you... you um, you can prove God's existence. And I said, yeah, that's right, son. And he said, well, if, if that's true, what do you start from? Where do you begin? Yeah. Do you start from things like atoms colliding or from the Big Bang or from, you know, some kind yeah. of fancy thing like that? And I said, actually, no, you, you, maybe you can. You could start with those things, too. And many books do that sort of thing. They'll, they'll talk about the existence of God from the evidence of astrophysics mm-hmm. uh, or biochemistry. Um, but I said, actually, Ben, the, the philosopher's way begins from things that you know yourself already. Even the existence of anything at all, or of motion, or just very boring things, you know, <laughs> are, are enough yeah. to, to get you there. Uh, but perhaps the way that, that's 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 most um, uh, most important is starting from the beauty of the world. But but Saint Thomas, uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas, now um, yes. he argues for the existence of God just from the fact that motion exists. That's his first way of getting there. You don't need any other datum any other given thing, any other starting point than that is just, there's motion. Now, watch what happens. Watch what necessarily follows from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so let's, let's, go, let's go to that, because you, if I can say, you kind of outline some basic principles. As you make your argument, can you maybe take us through some, in fact, well, the first mover, can you take us through that, that principle? Yeah, so let, let's. Uh, there's a lot to say about that. Um, in fact, I just got out of class with some uh, colleagues of mine where we're reading that material together, and yeah. we can spend a whole two hours together just talking about one of those arguments. So, so I'm going to just pick one thing yes. yeah. uh, and focus on it. And uh, let's take the idea that if you have a, a cause of motion or a cause of any kind, that maybe that cause can have a cause before it, and that cause can yeah. have a cause that's working on it. How do you know there has to be a first cause? Let's start maybe just with that. Yes. Um, and I think one way to see that is, um, well, first of all, we're not talking about going backwards in time. We're talking about things that are acting right now. That's the way St. Thomas thinks, and that's extremely important to understanding how he argues. So we're not talking about, you know, I have a son, and then I'm the son of somebody before me, and so on back in time. Yeah, so first we're talking more like yeah. I'm painting a picture with a paintbrush, and the brush is making the painting, but I'm also making the painting, and yes. I'm causing the brush to cause the painting. Yes. That's, that's the kind of order we're talking about. Yes. So we're talking about simultaneously acting causes. Now, can those go back forever? Like, <laughs> there's something causing me to paint the painting and something causing that to cause me to paint the painting? Yes. Well, they, as soon as you think of that, you say, that's kind of a ridiculous idea, that you'd have an infinity of things causing me to paint the painting right now. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so at the beginning, already at the outset, you see that that's not a very plausible view. Yeah. But now, can we see further that it's impossible, that you need a first? I think you can. Um, think about, 
in in general, if the the brush is not going to paint a painting unless it's caused to. Yes. So by itself, it's not a cause really of the painting at all. Now, if you introduce other things that also by themselves are not causes of the painting at all, they're just waiting for things to make them be causes, mm-hmm. how many of those do you need before you get the painting to be produced? Well, if you've got five or ten things, none of which will cause a painting by itself, they're just waiting for other things to make them do that, right. you get nothing at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so in order to get an effect, the only way to get that is if you introduce a cause that operates by itself and doesn't need some previous cause to make it be a cause. But that's what a first cause is. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, no, <laughs> there you go. And I hope, uh, this this is the kind of argument that I love, and I hope that people aren't listening to going, looks like you lost me at the, at the paintbrush. <laughs> but why, why, why do you say that un, undesigned designer, which mm. I guess is what you're saying in a way with the cause, yeah, that, that an uncaused right. cause is a necessity. Like, are we making the the connection there that that uh, that un, uncaused cause or that undesigned designer mm-hmm. is That's God? a good question. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, I, the way I take that is um, anything that is designed is is a caused thing. So you're not looking at your first cause yet if you're talking about it being designed. Okay. So the, the yes. whole question, you know, who designed the designer, which is the title that I, I take from a catchphrase, which which is uh, supposed to be a problem, right? Yes. Um, that's a little bit like the question, um, have you stopped beating your wife? You know, it's it's a double question. Yes. You know, so if you yes. say um, nobody designed the designer, uh, um, then then you'd say, well, um, uh, then then why not say there's no designer at all if things don't need a designer, right? Yes. Um, on the other hand, if you say that uh, somebody did design the designer, well, then there's no first designer. You've, you've just got an infinite regression of causes. You don't have a real explanation. You don't really have a God there. God is not designed and built by something better than him and prior yes. to him. So the way out of that is to say um, not everything needs to be designed. Uh, there are there. It must be the case that certain kinds of things require a designer. Uh, so a painting, like we were talking about before, uh, and maybe the the things of the natural world. But you'd have to introduce reasons why certain things required a designer. Um, and in the book, I try to bring out that, uh, following St. Thomas now, that that really things that are changeable, for example, are things that require a cause. Uh-huh. So if that's true, and you also need a first cause, then what do you know about that first cause? Well, it can't be changeable, uh-huh. because if it were changeable, it would need a cause. Similarly, things that are designed, uh, that have in them the signs of an intelligent um, w- a worker, if you like, yeah. but that have no intelligence of their own, those things require a previous and intelligent cause. But you can reduce that to or bring that back to a first cause, which must be something that um, if it has signs of an intelligence in uh, intellectual, um, or yeah, if, if it's an intelligent being, then you can't make that argument anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't say it needs something to produce it. Well, it has its own intellect now. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in our case, we have intellect. We're designed nonetheless because we come into existence, and our intellects go from knowing nothing to knowing something. Uh, they, they get uh, moved along, you could say. Um, they're limited, right? They have, they, they, these are all indicators that, uh, that we're not self-explanatory beings. 
But the first cause of, of the order and beauty in the world um, has to be something that, uh, number one, like we said before, there has to be a first cause, so yeah. let there be one now. Uh, but what the real question is, how do you know that that thing's intelligent? Yeah. How, how do we know that? Why not say it's matter or something like that, right. which is really what the atheists want to say. And most of the atheists agree there has to be a first cause. Not all of them, but most right. of them say, yeah, of course yeah. there does. But matter will do the trick or something like that. Um, but there are a few reasons that that's not adequate, actually quite a few. But uh-huh. just to give a quick outline yeah. of two of them, say, one reason is the first cause of all beings in, uh, that we're familiar with, which come to be, including ourselves, um, that's the cause of intelligence because it's the cause of human intelligence. Well, a cause can't give what it doesn't have. Yeah. So that first cause has to have the perfection of intelligence. So that's one way to go very quickly. Uh-huh. Another way to go is to say the world that we're looking at is beautiful. Now, if you if you want to yes. say that beauty in nature is um, what uh, just a quirk or an accident, I, I suppose you could say that, but that that just doesn't seem to fit with experience. So I take it as a given that the world really is beautiful and that that's a normal and, and, mm-hmm. and a, a fact that needs explanation. And if you say, well, the, couldn't the beauty of a tree be caused just by the tree? <laughs> and can't the, the, the beauty of a star be caused just by the star? Well, there's two, two reasons that that's not adequate. Um, one is that uh, they're beautiful together, not just singly. Yeah. And, and they're not organizing themselves into a beautiful whole. So that has to be explained by something else. Um, but also, beauty is is seems to be inherently for um, for a viewer, for an observer, yeah. and these beings don't have any you know trees and stars and mountains. Uh, they they don't have any consciousness of any kind. They don't even know that they're beautiful. Right. So they're not adequate explanations of why there should be something that is delightful to observers yeah. about the whole universe. So in order to explain that, you have to introduce something, a cause of the beautiful that's actually interested in beauty. And yeah. the only kind of thing that can be like that is a thing that has perception or intelligence. Yeah. No, this is uh, it's fascinating. And you can say the same th- what you said about beauty. You can say about truth. You can say about justice. Yes. You can say about all these all these uh, things that we love, that we <laughs> that we ascribe to God. Wow. Um, thank you. That I, I hope that, that people are, are as excited as I am <laughs> about this book. <laughs> um, if you love philosophy, a good argument, this is the book. If you like having these conversations with all your friends who are asking these questions, read the book because, because it's certainly, uh, it's good, uh, good to help us, uh, walk through these, these, uh, arguments so we can have these conversations. Michael, thank you for writing the book. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing it with us today. All right. God bless. Michael Ogros teaches at Thomas Aquinas College in California. His latest book, Who Designed the Designer? A Rediscovered Path to God's Existence, is published by Ignatius. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Michael James Meddy, with Drown Us in Your Love from his new album, Arts and Humanity. Fashioned into one The body and the sun Jesus, you are holy Wash us with your blood Oceans of your mercy Drown us in your love 
Michael James Meddy with Drown Us in Your Love from his new album, Arts and Humanity. Last we spoke with Michael James Meddy, he was just buying an Airstream, a mobile home, and was about to embark with his whole family on a cross-country tour, cross-continent maybe tour. If I remember correctly, they had no time limit. This was May 2013, and it would take as long as it took. And now they're back. And Michael James has a new album, Arts and Humanity, and to tell us all about their adventures and about the new album, I'm now joined by Michael James Meddy. Michael, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Deacon. I appreciate it. So, May 2013, you went, and I know that you didn't go off and never, you know, return for two years, but, I mean, more or less, did you set out with yeah, no direction? Our, our kind of goal, well, we prayed about it whenever we bought the Airstream, and my wife and I committed that we're going to stick it out for one year, like, We've okay. never camped before. We've never pulled a trailer. <laughs> oh. It's going to take a while. There's going to be pain and suffering and all this stuff. So it's going to take a year to kind of figure out, you know, up yeah. from down and left from right and make sure uh, that this is something good. And we don't want misery on wheels. Like, no. we, you know, we, we didn't know if it was going to be a great adventure or if it was going to be misery on wheels. We don't want misery. We don't want to drag our kids all around the country just for whatever. Yeah. But after a year, after, actually right away, it was only two or three months in, we're like, wow, this is this is really an awesome way of, of living and ministering and sharing our gifts and talents with the broader church. Okay, and so... Um, yeah? So we just kept going. So, yeah. so, wait, how many children do you have? There's four, five. Well, when we started, we, we had five. Okay. Now we have six. Okay, good. Sorry, I'm not tr- keeping track. Um, um, yeah, Truman was born just three months ago. Okay, and and you, so you were living out of this mobile home. Did you sell your house? What did you do? How did that work? Or, or, yeah, we rented it out to some friends of ours. Okay. We have a house in St. Louis, Missouri, and we rented it out to some friends of ours. Because once again, when we started, you know, our parents and some of our close friends were kind of like, you're really going to do this? Like, this is, you know, 200 square feet is not a lot of room for you yeah. and five kids, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and And so we didn't, there was a, a lot of unknowns. Like, we, we, were, we were excited, but there were a lot of unknowns. And right away, we started to see the value of, of me being more present in the kids' lives, obviously, yes. but also the kids getting a chance to see all of, you know, God's creation. Beautiful, And to see yeah. the way that the Church is expressed, you know, in the Northeast, which is different than the Southwest, and yeah. different than, you know, in Florida, and different in the Midwest. So they were just really able to learn a lot about um, about life, mm-hmm. uh, you know, traveling around with me. So this... And so 
Yeah. Just recently, like we were traveling, and, and we we really felt like this was what God was calling us to do. But there were some challenges in the trailer kind of airstream model, as cool and as as a yeah. you know, retro vintage airstream yeah. is. Yeah. It was built, you know, thirty years ago, and we were just really putting a lot of miles on it. And and the more we traveled, the more parishes would say, "Hey, come play a concert for us, and come play a concert for us." And so um, we looked around and. and we recently just bought a tour bus okay. because that's really uh, a much more excellent form of traveling. Now the kids will be able to walk around as we go. They can work on their homeschool while we're driving. Uh, there's bunks. They can go to sleep if we need to drive somewhere else. And it's, uh, we're really excited about this. We just picked it up last week. But that's going to allow us to travel even to even more places. Uh, and share the gospel uh, in an even more excellent way. Okay, so you've come back not because the tour is over, but because you need to upgrade, basically, so you can continue yeah, it's, in a it's, better way. It's, it's like shifting gears. We're, we're pushing the clutch in right now because we're about to go <laughs> into third year. Okay, nice. So, so you weren't just traveling to see the country. You were doing ministry. So how did you structure the trip, at least sort of, because I guess you were going, you committed for a year, but you didn't know what God had in store. So were you booking, trying to book a concerts, uh, talks, ministry engagements, yeah, that sort of thing? When it first started out, I was doing a lot more retreats mm-hmm. and a lot more um, parish missions and a lot more um, kind of youth rally things. Yeah. And, as, and then we would do kind of concerts in between to fill in the days. Yeah, and we realized more and more that the concerts were were really where I felt the most fulfilled, and where we felt like we were able to do the best ministry. And so, really, we've transitioned to doing almost solely kind concerts. of uh, evening concerts at parishes. Yeah, last year we played 127 dates, and we've been to 41 of the 50 states in, in the United States. Amazing. Um, and and so the the evening concerts are about. 60 to 90 minutes long, uh-huh. and uh, normally my kids come up for a song, and my wife is involved. She shares some of her testimony, and so it's somewhere um, it's somewhere between a parish mission and an arena rock show. We have right. lights, and we have video, and we have music, and uh, and it's really and we've been able to structure it so that we just do it uh, for a free will donation when we come into parishes. Okay. Um, a lot of times, you know, finances are tight, and we never want money to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just we do it for our donation halfway through, and people have been unbelievably generous. So you were able. I mean, God, God provides. To, so you were able to make a living for the last two years just from doing that. Correct, and not even that. Like it's it's not even surviving; it's thriving. Like you're we literally like, just got a tour bus. Yeah, so uh, you were able you know, to upgrade. Literally all built on donations. So yeah, God okay. be praised. And you're not so. It's just you and your wife and the kids. You don't have techies. You don't have roadies. It's just you. we travel with a band sometimes for okay. a different. Uh, you know, when, whenever it necessitates it. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we're a really low budget operation. So my my road crew, uh, most of them are under you know under ten years old, helping <laughs> me carry in stuff. Yeah, um, you know, there's kind of different tasks that they can do. My wife works the merchandise table. Yeah, um, and so it's kind of a family affair. They're learning about business and, <laughs> and logistics, all uh, all a part of the road travels. Right. So how was? Uh, I mean, this can be great for a family, but it can also be challenging. So. Talk to me before you tell me about all the great stuff. Tell me about the challenges that that you had. With, you know, two hundred square feet, five kids, a wife, yeah, eventually a pregnant wife. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that I don't know how old your eldest daughter. She's your daughter is the eldest, right? You have a daughter. Yeah, you Gabrielle know, is ten and a half. She's eleven now. That's that's difficult for a ten year old. It can be. It how can did you be. How did you navigate you and your wife navigate those those situations? What? Some of the challenges are um, 
that you're in close proximity uh, a lot of the time, especially when it's bad weather out, mm-hmm. um, because when it's bad weather, then everyone is inside. If it's cold or yeah. it's rainy, when it's good weather, they can go play at the park, they can play outside, and, it, and it's a lot better for everyone. Yeah. Um, some of the challenges are when we have different dates because of the scheduling back-to-back and we have long distances to travel. Yeah. Those are hard. Those are hard to be in a car seat or be in, you know, um, in a van for so long. Mm-hmm. And, you'll, you know, you run out of podcasts to listen to and you run out of music to listen to. Um, you run out of uh, audiobooks to listen to. And, the, the, you know, the Wi-Fi or the cell phone reception might not be good. Right. Uh, so those kind of things are, are challenges on the road, obviously. Yeah. Um, but we've found that, that the blessings have, have far outweighed those. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, as I've lived in different parts of the country, even before we traveled, uh, I was in the military for a while. Yes. You know, I, I worked at a ministry job for a while. There's this side of heaven, there's always challenges, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it doesn't matter what, uh, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Uh, it doesn't matter what your state in life is. Like, there's always going to be. Uh, challenges to be overcome. Yeah. Uh, but I think when we when we approach it with the spirit of charity and when we sp- uh, approach it with uh, a Christian spirit, you can see that you can offer up your sufferings for something that's even greater. Yeah. Um, well and said. so, so we, we really tried to train our, our family and our kids to to look at those days and and offer it up and um, and offer it up for other people that that might need prayers more than we do. So when you decided to upgrade to the tour bus, is that a conver- a family was that a family meeting and your kids had as much say as to whether they wanted to continue? How did you m- manage that? Yeah, we we looked at a lot of different buses uh, and and you know, we talked about converting one ourselves because our needs were fairly specific and yeah. that we needed uh, living space and also uh, traveling space. Yeah. And so uh, we we really we would include it in our family's prayers uh, quite uh-huh. often. Yeah. Uh, and so it you know, it's regular that if it's God's will that we can um, get the tour bus and that that'll be a place of peace and that you know dad can learn to drive it and uh, yes. and so I mean, when God when God wants something to happen, it happens, and it happened very quickly, like in the last month. Uh, just several different dominoes fell in, into place uh, with donors and with uh, tax returns, and then the airstream sold on eBay for uh, the full asking price. And it's like, okay, well, let's do it. And so That's uh, we drove and delivered the airstream, and then we drove, you know, back for concerts, and then we drove and picked up the bus, and now we're uh, we're heading down to Texas for the next couple months. Wow, that's great. So when people can find out where you're going to be at your website, and I'll give that information later, but I don't want to let you go before you tell me a little bit about the new album, Arts and Humanity. We've been listening to a couple of the songs. So this is it fair mm-hmm. to say that, that this album came out of that adventure, that, that traveling experience? Yeah, very much so. Uh, Arts and Humanity, um, the songs were all written kind of when we were on tour, uh, you know, living in different parts of the country. And one of the things that I saw over and over again is that, um, and I struggle with this too, is that we have a tendency to, to kind of segment our church life from the rest of our life, or, or that we compartmentalize God, or that mm-hmm. we, we kind of have, you know, we let God have part of our life, but not all of it. And I feel like I wanted to try to explore with this album um, an integrated lifestyle, right. and that's kind of what we were living. You know, we were living a lifestyle where you work and you play and you're with your family and it's kind of bring your kid to work day every day. And it's, yes. you know, your ministry, it's all kind of wrapped up together. You know, our business and our ministry and our family, it's all kind of integrated. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the songs I wanted to write about an integrated faith. And so a lot of the songs um, use a lot of, uh, they're written with a sacramental imagination. 
Yeah. Um, and there's some songs that are overtly prayerful, and then other ones that are just talking about uh, spiritual truths or talking about, you know, the riches that our Catholic faith has to offer from more of a uh, cultural point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to write songs... Um, I try to write songs out of my own life experience, and so, you know, songs like The Beat Goes On, it's really an Easter song. It's a song about persevering through darkness and through suffering and through struggle, um, and and that life goes on in spite of all of that. And and so, obviously, as Christians, as Catholics, we can say, oh, wow, that's the road to Emmaus, that's Easter Sunday. Um, But but it's not offensive to somebody else. I wanted to try to write songs that would invite people back to the church, people that maybe have fallen away. Absolutely, and I think you've done that. It's it's a really good album, and in fact, we're going to play that song at the end of the show. The beat goes on, even though it's Lent. But I guess Easter is part of Lent, so we can it's look just, forward to it's Easter. It's just around the corner. Absolutely, Mike uh, Michael James. Thank you so much. I hope that you can uh, uh, squeeze in some Canada dates for your next leg of the tour. Um, and yeah. uh, And uh, and we hope to meet you in person one day. That'd be great. Thanks so much, Deacon. You're welcome. You can find out more about Michael James Meddy, book him for a concert, or find out where he's going to be, or buy his music at his website, michaeljamesmeddy.com. Here now is Michael James with The Beat Goes On, that song, from his new album, Arts and Humanity. listening to Michael James Meddy with The Beat Goes On from his new album, Arts and Humanity. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Pope Francis declared this year to be the year for consecrated life. So throughout the year, we'll be doing several interviews featuring various people who are living consecrated lives. Today, an excerpt from a conversation I had with Father Mike Pace of the Salesians of Don Bosco. This is a big year for Salesians. This is a big year. It's the 200th anniversary of the birth of the birth of John Don John Bosco. Right. John. His his name is John. Don is the Italian title for for father, if you will, a respectful uh, name. Yes. So what what is what is the significance of this anniversary for you? Well, so 1815 to 2015, 200 years. It's a really a time for us to certainly uh, revisit our history, to understand it better, mm-hmm. because the more you know your roots, the greater the sense of unity and identity and purpose. Okay. As we move forward, we need to be true to the charism, the gift of the Spirit that God unleashed yeah. for the Church through Don Bosco. Yeah. How do we incarnate that charism today, faithful to our history, but ever responsive to the needs of today? Mm-hmm. And so certainly this is a, a, a build-up of... of uh, uh, study and celebration and gratitude around the Salesian world on the occasion of Don Bosco's birth. It's a time for us really to refocus. So but refocus. What, do you, what do you do? Do you, are you having like conferences or, yep. or, or, or special retreats? That 
to help you refocus? Uh, how does that work? There are there are many at, at sort of at the, at the level of, of local or international animation. There are retreat days, there are study days, there are celebrations, there mm -hmm. are masses to commemorate his birth. Yeah. And uh, for us as a worldwide congregation, one of the biggest events took place last year. Uh, I was there last year at this time for our 27th general chapter. And that was an important time for us to take stock of who we are as sons of Don Bosco mm -hmm. today. And if I, if I could just read a quote yeah. from that document that really challenges us to refocus who we are and why we are Salesian. And this is from our current rector major, Father Angel Fernandez. He said this, This is the challenge of, relig of religious life today, thinking and living in a way that refocuses our way of looking at reality where we are too certain of ourselves. And so the challenge in that is to, you know, even if, if I pick up another line from our, our rector major, he says, the young, especially the poorest ones, are the ones who will save us. Yeah. We are certainly called by God to form communities focused on the Lord to go out on mission. But our perspective has to be gratitude that the young people we reach out to in service are actually God's ways of helping us to, yeah. to save our own uh, souls, if you will. Yeah, it's very interesting. A couple of different thoughts that I have, but that reminds me of a, a, a story I heard about Pope John Paul Saint, Pope John Paul II, when he was asked how, why he started World Youth Day, mm -hmm. thinking that it's the bishops who go and evangelize the youth, and he said, no, it's the youth who evangelize the bishops, mm -hmm. which is the same, same idea. Trust is there, yeah. Now, the first quote you, you read mm -hmm. uh, uses the word renewal. So is right. this anniversary an opportunity for renewal in the, I guess, in the, sense of, in the true sense of the word? Absolutely. It's been an occasion for us to, uh, I give you perhaps the, the, the three areas of focus that we gave ourselves at the chapter, which was very much echoed by the, uh, the call to this year of consecrated life. Yeah. We, we reflected on the need to be mystics in the spirit. Uh, prophets of fraternity and servants to the young. So essentially, mystics in the spirit, how do we give God primacy of place mm -hmm. in our lives? That is the essential thing. So our own spirituality, from the Pope on down, we've mm -hmm. been challenged and I think bravely recognizing what can be, you know, Pope Francis called it the disease of superficiality. Mm -hmm. How do we take stock of where that might have affected us personally and as a congregation yeah. to regain that or to give back to God mm -hmm. what we promised when we encountered him as our first love, that beautiful image. Yeah. How do we give him primacy of place yeah. and allow the power of the Spirit to renew us in that constant conversion mm -hmm. and from that to do what we do. Mm -hmm. And then to be prophets of fraternity mm -hmm. in an age that is challenged by isolationism and relativism and loneliness. Mm -hmm. How can we, by the way we live together as a community, mm -hmm. be prophets of that mystery of unity that is the Holy Trinity itself? So prophet meaning a witness? A witness, yeah. To other people? To ourselves first. Uh. <laughs> and then from that, yeah. out of the abundance of your heart flows uh -huh. the rest. And so from the way we live together and work together, how do we then uh, remind the world that we are called to that communion, uh, uh, communion, the way of incarnating the mystery of the Trinity itself yeah. in the relationships. And then the third piece, to be servants of the young. Not, not masters of the young, but they're uh -huh. servants. How do we become like Jesus who went out to you know, the existential uh, peripheries, to quote Pope Francis, mm -hmm. where the young are most challenged? You know, how, do we, how do we reflect on the genius of John Bosco's pedagogy, mm -hmm. uh, reason, religion, and kindness? Mm -hmm. How do we take the pillars of his method and, and breathe new life into it? Now you made me think, and of course we're talking about consecrated life in general, mm -hmm. and, and, but those three 
principles, if I can mm -hmm. call them that, at least especially the first two, putting right. God first, being witness uh, with our fraternity. Would you say that that's part of living a consecrated life? It's at the heart of it. It's at the heart of it. For everyone who's living consecrated life or specifically? Those are the words reason. that we've put on it. But if, if, you take, if you take the documents of the church since, since Vatican Council II, uh, yeah. Lumen Gentium chapter 6, yeah. if you take um, Perfecta Caritatis, if you take Vita Consacrata, if you take... Because um, <laughs> we've read all of those. Of course you have. <laughs> In Latin, I'm sure. Absolutely. Starting afresh from Christ. <laughs> the, the threads are so consistent. Okay. You know, it, it struck me that the, the words, the words overlap. There's almost a parallel in wording, now, I don't know where I put it here, but where, 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 we, where we spoke about uh, mystics, prophets, and missionaries yes. living the past with gratitude and the present with passion mm -hmm. and embracing the future with hope, the, the, the aims of this year of consecrated life and our priorities as, as Salesians really mesh. You really see the web, if you want, of, of, of church wisdom coming right. forward and drawing us into the life of the church precisely as consecrated people. Now, U.S. Salesians are, are doing this refocusing, yes. I guess, anyway, because it's the, the anniversary, but in a way, the Holy Father calls a year like the year of consecrated right. life for that same purpose. Absolutely. For all people in consecrated life to right. renew. To, to renew, yes, because ever since the Vatican Council II call to, to, to reconnect with our history so we can know the charism better, so we can keep this gift of the Lord, of, of God, present and vibrant in the church. That's the hope, mm -hmm. to refix our gaze with the contemplative intensity on Jesus. Yeah. You see? And from that, first be converted in an ongoing way, mm -hmm. and to respond courageously to what needs to be done. One of the images that's been used so often is that consecrated people need to be um, sentinels of the dawn. Yes. I love that image yes. because y y it, I think it speaks well to me as a Salesian and to all consecrated people of the role we play within the bigger people of God. Mm -hmm. We're not apart from all members of the baptized body of Christ. What does a sentinel do? The sentinel kind of keeps vigil when other people may be asleep. So a watchman. A watchman, a, a watchwoman. Watch yeah. but, but to what end? For the good of the broader community. Mm -hmm. the, the sentinel needs to report what is seen. It might be good news, all mm -hmm. is fine. It might be disturbing news, there are challenges on the horizon. Right. And so to see, to see the reality that we're called to be a part of, uh -huh. And bringing the primacy of God's love for us to bear on our vision for the world and the activities that we choose to be a part of as a way of, of, of vehicling that presence of God in and for the world. Right, which is prophetic in a, in a sense. Um, how, because I'm going to ask you, the, uh, what is consecrated life then? Right. But before I ask you that, aren't, aren't we all called to that? Absolutely. Again, you know, the, the universal call to holiness that, uh, yes. The Vatican Council uh, reminded us of in chapter 5 of, of um, Lumen Gentium. Let me say, this aside, it was very much rooted in St. Francis de Sales. He spoke <laughs> about that in his Introduction to the Devout Life really? in, the, in the 17th century. Yes. And in those days, it was radical. Because yes. in those days, only the monks it, it, and bishops exactly, were holy. Exactly. And here he was saying, if, you were, if you're a king or a soldier or a Everyone. homemaker or a carpenter, be holy your way. And so within that universal call to holiness... God will call some people to consecrated life not to be better or holier than others, but within the entire body of Christ to have a particularly focused commitment on the gospel message. Uh -huh. See, what is it that makes a consecrated person a consecrated person? First of all is to rec recognize that it's God who consecrates, not us. We don't consecrate ourselves to God. Yeah. We're all, he consecrates us all to himself through baptism. Mm -hmm. And then within that, some are consecrated by God for a particular role right. of spiritual animation, if you want, 
for the good of the church. Mm -hmm. Pope Francis spoke beautifully about consecrated life being born in the church, growing within the church, and being directed completely to the church. Um, somewhere else this past weekend, he spoke about a wonderful summary for consecrated life. It was so brilliant. Adore Jesus, love the church, and be missionary. Yeah. Mystics, yeah. prophets of fraternity, yeah. and servants of the young. Yeah. So yeah. adore Christ, the primacy of God. Yeah, putting him first. Love the church and be missionary. Go out to the peripheries. Don't be in yes. a little enclosed, you know, religious ghetto. Get out there and do what the Spirit needs you to yeah, do. Yeah, which is those first same three. Those, those, God those elements. First, fraternity, and, and Salesians, particularly servants of the young, right. the peripheries. Right. That was a conversation I had with Father Michael Pace of the Salesians of Don Bosco. You can watch my full conversation with Father Mike at saltandlighttv.org slash perspectives. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Lorraine Hess, with To You, O Lord, from her new album, As I Pray.
That was Lorraine Hess with To You, O Lord, from her new album, As I Pray. Lorraine Hess has been doing music ministry since she was 16 years old. Her first album, We Shall Be Healed, is a collection of songs written and inspired by her faith journey as a Catholic wife and mother, and her experiences surviving Hurricane Katrina in 2005 and its aftermath. Her second album, Child of God, is a perfect perfect combination of her contemporary style with the rich traditions of the Catholic faith. Her third album, Cradle in Bethlehem, is a pro-life Advent Christmas project in support of a local pregnancy and referral center in New Orleans. Now Lorraine has a new album, As I Pray, that we've been listening to. It's published by World Library Publications, and to tell us all about it, I am now joined by Lorraine Hess. Lorraine, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much. So, I know now you live in New Orleans, but I'm not sure where you grew up. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to grow up. I was born and raised in New Orleans. Oh, you so were? So I've been here all my life. Wow. I love the city, yes. This yes. This is where I, um, my husband is from the city as well, so we have lots of family here. Uh-huh. And and did you grow up in a Catholic household? I did, and I went to Catholic school all my life, um, which really laid the foundation for my writing um, you know, later on. You learn your prayers. I always say, like, in, in the early years, you learn your prayers, and and you and you kind of learn the rituals of your faith. And then I went to St. Mary's Dominican High School here in New Orleans, which has been around since the 1800s, yeah. and um, that's where I learned to pray. And it was a, a wonderful experience. I got introduced to contemporary music, and the school masses were just fabulous. Yeah. And I think that's really where the seeds of faith were planted, and um, the writing grew from there. Right. Now, is do you come from a big family? My mother is one of nine. Wow. And yes, and so I think she has over eighty cousins just on her mother's side oh, <laughs> that we can count. That's amazing. We used to do family reunions by color. Everyone yes. wore a certain color. <laughs> um, and then my dad comes from a big Italian family, so yes, we have lots of family here in New Orleans. Right, and and uh, was it a musical household? Yes, it is a very musical household on my mother's side. Um, my aunt did a lot of music and jazz in the seventies and. Um, my, every one of her siblings is in music in some kind of way. Yeah. So there's a lot of them do local music. Some of them write commercials. Some of them are, are playing things like hammered dulcimer, guitar, right. violin, oh, wow. uh, lots of music. Yeah, and is it, I mean, I think of New Orleans, I think Cajun music, I think, um, mm-hmm. I also do think there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of Catholic roots in New Orleans, which is not the same in, in, across the southern United States, but in New Orleans because of the French background. Um, right. So, so that must have also, right. also all been an influence to you. It, yes, it was an influence. In fact, my music is really kind of a combination of some of the Cajun heritage, also a lot of jazz. There's a lot of soulful yeah. music in New Orleans, a lot of gospel here in the New Orleans area. Um, and New Orleans is almost like its own little country. I mean, it's so eclectic yes. that you can, um, before you know, you're adding reggae and you don't even realize it because right. just the, the city is so diverse. Right, yeah, it's a great little city. I, 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 that mm-hmm. I've been there once, and I enjoyed it greatly. Um, do you have any brothers or sisters? I have one sister who lives in Houston, and I miss her tremendously. Oh. She's also a songwriter and a musician. Oh, good. I hope she's listening. Um, I, I hope so too. So w- you mentioned that. So you, your your mother's side of the family is musical. You, you, growing up with you and your sister, did you have to do like piano lessons or? vocal or anything like that at home? You know, I did piano lessons, and I did it. I had a teacher who was very strict, and I was extremely shy. 
So that lasted for about three years until I couldn't take it anymore. So I, I stopped playing piano for a while. Yeah. Um, but I stayed in music, and my mom was a cantor at our church, so I was kind of exposed to um, liturgical music through her. Right. And then um, in high school, I mean, I was a gymnast for many years, and I got hurt. And when I got hurt, I was kind of looking for something else. So I began to take voice lessons in high school, and I just found this whole new world. It was one of those things where you thank God for the cross, and you take away something that you love so that that door can open to some other opportunities, and I believe that's what happened. Right. And so that's when I really started getting involved in music ministry. Okay, so that was around when you were about 16. Correct. Did you ever go through through, through that adolescent period that many of us go through of, of doubt or rebellion with the faith? Um, I wouldn't say I ever had rebellion. I think I had maybe some laziness. Yeah. You know, like you get into yeah. college and you think... A holy day of obligation is more like a holy day of aggravation, and you just, I don't have yeah. time for that. So there were times <laughs> when I was not practicing fully and didn't understand the blessings of keeping that. But I never I never left the church. Mm-hmm. It was it was more routine, though. And then as, you know, my husband, and he's a, a strong man of faith, and as our marriage, we grew together in our faith, and mm-hmm. um, that that's where we started to hunger for more. So we started doing more with our church, and... Um, I think it's just kind of like the stock market. You know, you move up a little bit, and you regress a little, and you move up a little bit, and yeah. you never want to go back to how you were in the beginning, but it just, um, you know, it grows and grows, and, and you have to keep it going. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anyone compare the faith to the <laughs> stock market, but that is that is that is a good analogy. Um, um, I, I, I think a lot of us, we, 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 we hear about New Orleans, we remember Hurricane Katrina, and I know that that mm-hmm. I mean you were there. That's all you've lived there all your life, and and it, the experience was was so meaningful that in fact it led to your first album. So tell yes, us a bit about that. Well, you know we're getting ready to celebrate the tenth anniversary mm-hmm. of that horrific event, and what was so beautiful about that time. Of course, I don't ever want to do it again. Don't don't mistake me yeah. for saying that it, it was a it was a blessing that I would want to redo, but. You know, people put their differences aside during that time, and yeah. estranged family members were helping each other, and people, churches were packed, and people were realizing what was important, and kids were playing outside, and they didn't have soccer practice six days a week, and mm-hmm. nobody was working 60 hours a week. They were just helping each other just get back on their feet, and it was the entire city who was grieving, you know, just mm-hmm. the, the entire city, and so it really brought this community back together, and the people in New Orleans are so very proud of how they rebounded from that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so out of that, you know, you, you spend a lot of time in prayer, um, and it's in our deepest hopelessness, I think, that we are we cling closest to God. And so that's really what happened in the sacraments um, and in the Psalms and the, in, in, in um, the Scripture. A lot of writings start to come from that, from yeah. that experience of the deep prayer that, that you go through when you're in a time of crisis. Right. Again, uh, being grateful for the cross. Um, had right. you been had you been writing music before that experience? I would write here and there. In fact, I keep this um, I keep this plaque in my office where I do my writing of a, a song I wrote in 1982 when I was in grade school, where I won second place in the nation for this little patriotic song, and it's just a reminder to me. And then I put it down, and I would write harmonies to things in college when I would do shows. Yeah. We needed an alto part, or we needed a tenor part. But I would, I would write. I knew I could write, and my mom used to say, "Used to always sing to the radio the harmony part." Right. So I always had the ear for it. Um, but it really wasn't until I was in my thirties that I started sitting down and putting my scripture time and my prayer time 
at the piano two words um, and into music. So it was later after I had I had four children and I was having babies and I was serving the church as I could. And then as they got a little older, it became um, apparent to me that this is the direction God wanted to move me mm-hmm. into. So it was a little later in life, but I'm glad I did because I brought the experiences of of, of motherhood and marriage and um, being involved with my church into the music. Right. So now you have a new album. Uh, what would you say is different about this album for you? This, I, I planned this entire album in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. The idea for it came to me in... Um, it's 30 minutes of music. It's just enough time to drive to work or to get on a treadmill or to sit in your prayer time. Every song is written from the perspective of the first person. Mm-hmm. So the listener can sing it directly to God as their prayer time. Um, and it goes through the stages of our prayer, a call to worship, a repentance, um, a, a beg for mercy, uh, a, a placing our trust and asking for petitions. Yeah. And then we praise. And so you can use that, because people in my generation were kind of immediate post-Vatican II, and mm-hmm. parents didn't really know how to teach us to pray. Yeah. So we have a hunger for it, because we've been exposed to it for 50 years, but sometimes we don't have the words. And so this gives the listener the words to pray through their prayer time. It's got instrumentals for listening, yeah. which you know people don't always know how to listen in their prayer time. Um, so I think that's what's different about this one from the others, that you can use it as, use it as your prayer time. Right. I, I hate to call it a, a tool, <laughs> but, but I guess that's what it is. Well, and kind I, of yeah. Sure. Yeah, so that I can, and, I, and I, I, I'm, I'm exactly that person that you described, that I spend so much time in my car, and, right. and that's when I listen to, to spiritual music that helps me focus, refocus my day, or, or you know, that's when I have time right. to. So I think that's a great gift, Lorraine. Thank you. Well, thank you. So um, we're going to leave it there, but it's been great meeting you. Okay. I love the album. I, 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 thank you so it much. It does exactly what you set out to do, and I, and I hope that our listeners, with a little bit that they've heard today, um, have the same feeling and that they can uh, go and go and get it. And 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 as good. we listen, and we're accepting prayer requests. We, we, if you go oh, to my website, good. there's a place to add prayer requests. Yeah. For the release album concert, which is July 1st. So if they add a prayer intention, we'll include it that night in our as we pray through the album for the first time. Oh, nice. Okay, good idea. So so that'll be in the nor in New Orleans. Yes, it's July 1st in New Orleans, and um, and um, okay. yeah, we're just it's going to be a prayerful night. We're we're um, it's just just a beautiful night to pray through all the songs so that people can see how this album is lined up. Okay, good. So so time. so send your prayer requests, and if you are in the New Orleans area. Go to Lorraine's website, LorraineHess.com, and find out where that's going to be, and uh, and and go and pray and celebrate. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lorraine. Great meeting you. Same here. You can learn more about Lorraine Hess. Uh, you can buy her music or find out where she'll be performing next at her website, LorraineHess.com. That's Hess with two S's, H-E-S-S, LorraineHess.com. Her new album, As I Pray, is published by World Library Publications. And here now is Lorraine Hess with the title track of her new album, As I Pray. Will you sit with me, Lord Jesus? Just spend some time with me, Lord Jesus. As I tell you all about my day, though you already know, I ask you for my day. So that my faith will grow Spend some time with me 
listening to Lorraine Hess with As I Pray from her album of the same name. That concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org and contact me at Deacon Pedro GM. Thank you for listening. <laughs>